Welcome back to Pneumatic Materials. My name is Derek. My name is Nate. And this is episode 4.5, the second part of our conversation with artist and researcher Joshua Citarella. We discuss politics, spirituality, and within the contemporary moment. I'd also like to take a second to thank our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support the project, you can find us at patreon.com slash pneumatic materials. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. I definitely think the pendulum is starting to swing back towards um, publicly, you know, feeling like it's okay um, to to voice your opinions on this sort of thing, um, because I do think the burner spirituality that we can continue to dunk on throughout this whole podcast, because um, they're libertarians, dunk up, yeah. dunk away, dunk away. Let's continue to beat a dead horse. Um, but I think because that modality of spiritual engagement and the kind of like bro DMT user um, represented by something like the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, and then, you know, along with your soul cycles, um, explorations of spirituality seem to be very cringe, uh, for lack of a better word. I feel like he wouldn't be shamed on the right for having that experience. While on the left, like soul cycles, what you're allowed to have. Yeah. Or something. And I'm not even saying the left mm. per se. Maybe I'm just, I'm really just looking at things in terms of centrist and people on the right. And I'm not even seeing a representation of the left here. But I feel if the DMT guy was public with those things, it would get, uh, let's say on Instagram, it would get likes from that side of things. Yeah. While on the other side of things, it might be like, hey, get your shit together. Don't post about stuff like that. We're trying to do something here. It's like there's a, it's less welcoming. Yeah. But that. For mystical or sacred yeah. experiences. I don't, but I, I think that the, I don't know, not to essentialize humanity, but I think those questions are, are pretty fundamental to our existence. Of course, they're, they're going to always kind of bubble up um, uh, in new ways. It's a big load, honestly, what we're tackling. It's not just, it's not just this format. It's, it's dismantling, you know, very big notions of morality and taking things apart with a historical lens and like we're, you know, preparing things for different mm. figures in history, the history of like the devil, the history of all of this stuff that I think plays a, a part in maybe unconsciously shaping people's approaches to these things, you know, in an instinctual way, given the early age, people are introduced to these concepts as well. Even if you don't go to church, it's all over popular media. I mean, like one of a good friend I grew up with deeply into Japanese anime and is like became a deeply occult person, you know, shocker, but like, he went through a whole bizarre arc and I think he came out and now he's just like a Jesus guy. And I'm like, I guess that's the best case scenario for flirting with, you know, taking alchemy yeah. literally or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, one point I wanted to bring up, speaking of parents, a long time ago, I was talking to my dad about stuff like this and he gave me a book that he read growing up by, I think it was Eric Hoffer. He's a pop philosophy kind of stuff. We had this book called The True Believer and it's basically about... Um, anticipating boomers experiencing horseshoes and stuff like that and the thoughts on nature of mass movements. But it gets into the mental health aspect, which is the other separate thing, political solutions, mental health solutions, spiritual solutions. I think there's a, there's a diagram where they overlap, but I, I think they're very different. And there's just one quote, which I'm, I wanted to pull, which I think we're all probably would agree with. 
Fanatical and extremist cultural movements, whether religious, social, or national, arise when large numbers of frustrated people, which I think we're in today, believing their own individual lives to be worthless or spoiled, join a movement demanding radical change. The process is often fast. But the real attraction for this population is an escape from the self, not a realization of individual hopes. I think escape is a, is a, is a key notion here. Uh, a mass movement attracts and holds a following, not because it can satisfy the desire for self-advancement, which is often an illusion, but because it can satisfy the passion for self-renunciation. And I remember at the time in my life when I read that, I felt that it was correct, and I, I guess I still do to an extent, and I've, I'm concerned that we're in one of those those very trying times, you know, I guess, I, again, I think everyone thinks it's a trying time and every time is probably more trying than the last. However, um, these times are more trying than others. Yes, I, I agree. I, I try, I try yeah. to, it's maybe personally, I try to hold the more broad feeling so I can be open to parts of history that like maybe my introduction to them. Cause look, I went to public school. What I learned about communism was like, you starve to death. And, uh, there are a lot of things I've had to keep it more broad mind throughout time to let into my purview, but that's more of a me thing. I don't know, Derek and Josh. I, I heard about this guy, Steven Pinker, and he actually provided some really, really <laughs> fascinating, compelling data as to why, you know, this is the best time to be alive in human history. So I don't I, know. Well, I can agree with that. <laughs> sure. I think, I think those things are important. I think social indicators are important. And um, by many metrics, uh, in some places, this is the best time to be alive. But uh, this is not the best time to be alive in the advanced world because life expectancy is declining. Uh, wages and productivity have been divergent for 40 years. We live in the basically the most unequal society in the past 100 years. I think it's we're verging on uh, now the wealth inequality is comparable to 1911 or something like that. Well, I'm not a fucking economist, yeah. but it, I've, I've spent enough time around this stuff. So it's, it's really bad, uh, and we shouldn't underestimate that. Um, I think just in relation to the quote that you were talking about, uh, the emergence of radical movements correlating to a bad period of history seems to me totally self-evident. And I think one of the things that's insane about the last few years in the media landscape is that people have basically built uh, entire careers and brands around denying that reality. And the, they attribute the problem to being, well, there was too much radical messaging on YouTube and then it made a radical movement. And that is just, it's so fundamentally mistaken that um, it's, it, it's not a problem of people saying bad things on the internet and then cultivating movements. that certainly contributes. It's a small portion of it, but uh, you got to start at the base reality that shit is getting worse. People are dying faster. They are more poor. They cannot afford homes or retirement or whatever. So yeah, that's, um, it's, it's immensely frustrating. Uh, I do think there's also, I'm just going to throw this in here because I've been, um, I've really I, I, my patience is totally worn out with these fucking people, but uh, the capitalism and mental health stuff is important. And yes, it like drains you of meaning and you may feel depressed and whatever, but there's definitely some fucking mentally ill people who do not need a political solution. They need some medication or something. And uh, that's, yeah, that's the that problem. Is, no one knows when to look for what solution at what time. Instead, it's just like, I'll just keep deep and digger into this hole. And you might get a huge, you could be rewarded for that as well. You'll get a huge following. I don't know. Maybe you'll get some brand deals or you'll be elevated as a celebrity because of it. But like that's, 
worshiping the individual who's able to have an opinion. That's that's enough right now. Just having an opinion mm-hmm. and hammering it down yeah. is what tells someone else who's looking up to them that it's enough for them to hold that same opinion as well, while that hole still exists. So if we're ramping up to larger mass movements than we've seen in the few years, I mean, obviously that's that's concerning. So yeah, I mean, look, I'm aware on the left, the memes against mental health. I'm aware of what Deleuze did for therapy, but I'm also aware of the history of 68 and the larger psychoanalytical institution, um, how those things are employed, yada, 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 how they undergo the neoliberal system. But I mean, during Reagan and Thatcher, we also had a complete cut of these social programs, right? We had institutions shut down. We had people dumped onto the streets. We had collective social therapy, which was more of a thing emerging throughout the 70s, fundamentally shut down and defunded. And now we only imagine things through a highly individualized lens. And if you can't afford it, you don't have insurance, well, you can talk to a machine learning algorithm and get an Adderall prescription, which is 90% of what I hear people want from therapy anyways. Who is the shitty doctor (laughs) who will give me an Adderall prescription? And that makes them a better worker, I guess, right? It makes them productive and lets you push. So like to me, I see a a downward spiral. It's not necessarily a cycle there. And separating that rhetoric is... Is tricky because there certainly are those therapists out there, and there are. But in every field, there are people getting the paycheck who don't care. So it's it's a. Uh, there are very many interesting stigmas. I mean, to work against even my father, who's well into his seventies now, just to get is just like against doctors in general at this point in his life. He's had fine experiences with them, but he's just like any doctor. <laughs> he just will go on about how they're going to bilk you, and I'm just like I I'll just I got it for sure, but. Yeah. Even so, yeah. renewing one's faith in systems, in social systems, having a bad experience and then having the peace of mind and the time to seek out a better experience instead of just rejecting it, whether that is a political experience, a mental health experience, or a spiritual experience, I think is work. I think it's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this um, a little while ago, we were on a different subject, and I, I, I didn't bring it up, but I, I took it down as a note. Um, but I feel like in, you know, say, a period of capitalism where it was relatively healthier, not in the neoliberal era, right? Um, society was definitely more religious in the 1970s than it is in 2020. And, and, you know, maybe there's an argument to make somewhere, which is, I think, kind of what you had laid out before, which is that when you have a little bit more of a, a social safety net and a, a financial cushion, that it allows for the space within which these things can happen. And maybe there's something now where when you, you ramp down on austerity and you, and you do this infinite belt tightening, that you you also squeeze out the space for people to explore the most important things in life too. Um, yeah, yeah, but I find I find now like, in reference to the uh, the anti-psychiatry stuff in like 68 and the 70s, it's like, oh my God, could you imagine how lucky we would be to be in 68 and 70 in that era of capitalism? Oh my, it would be so easy. <laughs> Our rent would be like, I don't know, 15% of your income. Like that sounds like a fucking dream. It's a walk in the park. Uh, <laughs> damn, they thought shit was crazy back then. That was what was driving them mad where schizophrenics are in Paris and Artie Lang's clinic smearing shit on the walls. Like that, oh, um, that was the product of like <laughs> evil, monogamous, like patriarchal, Oedipal, whatever. Like that's how bad it was. Like, God. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing. Like, the <laughs> I can ed- imagine the, the savings. The Oedipal hole is like the God hole. I, I, they over, these things overlap in ways that like we can keep separating it, but like... 
in that sense, I mean, you always be looking in the wrong direction if you're looking for the wrong thing, though. I just find it's when you live in a society that values obedience over justice, um, you will find subservient people with holes who are great workers. We're great workers, and we fill those holes mm -hmm. often with labor and like limited social experiences where it's at the bar or maybe it is your weekend soul cycle class or I mean maybe in some more positive social institutions I've, I'm not a member of any of like the anonymous programs but I have friends who've been through them and for even the limitations that they have that's like the only place they have but they have the condition is you have to be sober not hanging out with with like your coworkers at these other things and you have to do it here and it's more about you know absolving yourself to something and it's I would argue has some very rigid guardrails as well. So maybe we just need to bring back the Shriners and the tiny clown cars and make a space where we can just have a social <laughs> club and do this stuff. Cause I mean, you know, j jokes aside, like my grandfather's and all that stuff. I think some, somewhere in, somewhere in a tank in world war II, he became a Freemason. I don't know. He's a Freemason joined up the Scottish right, went through all of the degrees, became a, a, a more, he's in the Moorish rights as well. Uh, I was perplexed by this stuff as a child, and we're going to his house and be like, "What is all of this like stuff?" I don't. <laughs> He's got the the I don't know the the paraphernalia, the all yeah insignias. The I inherited like all what do you, what do you call the, it? The spades yeah. and the ceremonial spades and all. I was just like, wow, oh, just like all this jewelry and. But at a time, these things were also. By the time I encountered them with him, they were done. I mean, they're they were it's was for parades, membership was on decline, it, it was the 90s, and also those things were being, the narrative was being flipped into New World Order stuff. So that turned off a generation of people who might have been interested in that, like, kind of, I guess, networking or, or, or space for those kinds of things. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate that it is just, like, The Wing or WeWork or places that are predicated around advantageous networking for the sake of being more productive as opposed to just, like, a place to be. You know? I've heard a lot of people on the left where when you give them a few drinks, they they tend to admit it's like, well, maybe what we really just need are like community clubs to come back. Because essentially what that allowed for was a, a spirit of camaraderie, if not solidarity. But uh, the material result of it was that neighbors would do favors for each other because they were friends. And that allowed for all of this decommodified negotiation and sharing of resources where uh, now, because we don't have those social solidarities, um, those services are only accessible through the market. And what free markets do is massively, vastly polarize resources. And that has kind of been happening across all facets of society. And the end, the net effect of that is just a, a draining of resources and to the detriment of most people as resources polarize in, in society. So um, yeah, I mean, it's not a very like Marxist left solution, but um, materially it was clearly preferable. Right, when, when neighbors were able to share things. I mean, also a federated network of social clubs is a voting block as well. Even if you can't Absolutely. capture uh, a massive demographic under one movement, that's probably the wrong way to look at it. It's more that there are alliances between these things. There are shared overlapping spheres. Like right off the bat, you might not have the same politics as someone, but hey, you have the same music taste or the same that's also, cultural, yeah. whatever that thing is. There are other ways to bring people together that aren't just like the club experience or like the, you know, Coachella, whatever, tiers of VIP, yada, yada, yada. Just in the local sense where it's like it's always kind of operating. There's always kind of something happening. It can always just be a place to hang out. I mean, it's just, uh, 
to have the runway to do that kind of thing, people immediately probably start thinking about how to monetize it, right? Outside of memberships, which, which by the way, that is what se- that's what's left of these secret societies. Any of them, mm. they're just fundraisers. Mm. It's not a yeah. place that just ends in like a, a punch bowl that how we're going to get more money for next year. So I think there's a big hole for it, you know? I mean, even just, I mean, New York is not as occupied as it was before the pandemic. And WeWork is still one of the biggest tenants in Manhattan, despite going belly up. And these spaces are just empty, right? So, I mean, as much as, you know, yeah, the, the localist solution is, is maybe, you know, not the end-all be-all. Getting engaged with people in your physical vicinity is an immensely powerful experience or in terms of uh, restoring agency to a subjectivity that through consumption of social media, through existence everywhere all at once um, via the internet is crippled in, you know, by this knowledge on the one hand of everything going on and total inability to do anything about it. Um, and I, I think a sentiment that is shared by a lot of of older people, of of liberal uh, boomers, is this simultaneous emphasis on localized solutions. You know, oh, if people were just nice to each other, but also an almost exclusive focus on the big picture. In MSNBC um, and Fox News, it's the big picture all the time. You're constantly tuned in to national politics um, while also believing that interpersonal kindness is the the solution (laughs) and those things feel like totally contradictory or maybe not if the goal is stasis and paralysis Um, but yeah you know kindness is important in its proper application which is as a neighborhood you know as people who live in physical proximity reaching out and helping your neighbor, trying to form social clubs, neighborhood block associations. The, I'm, I'm, certainly, I'm certainly in favor of, of those things. I think that social clubs are important. I think um, a lot of the online communities, do, do Not Research included, are going to de-virtualize into some social club as just one aspect of what these institutional, new institutional structures do. Um, okay, but this is so... I'm skeptical of localism for uh, an infinite number of reasons that I've gone over for for too long. So I'll just kind of uh, speed through through that. I think I, I've I've talked about that enough. But this is this is the thing that um, this is the thing that always sticks out to me that in the discussions of kindness and morality, the emphasis on moralizing and solutions uh, or, or solutions of generosity and, and kindness that like part of the reason why our society is so unequal is because people are too selfish that they're not kind enough right very low resolution this is kind of what's being proposed um, what activist organizations sometimes do by mistake or again we're talking about mistaking one belief system for another they literally meet on Sundays they spend the first, 10 to 20 minutes of their meeting going over a set of moral principles that they all line on. And then they have uh, basically updates about the meeting and um, people say, okay, thanks for that. I'll see you again next Sunday. That's fucking church. 
That that is true. It's filling that scene. Uh, yeah. Fuck. It's yeah. been church the whole time. Oh. <laughs> Always has been. Always has oh. been. <laughs> but so okay. Well, that, that's that's on the activist fringe. But then there's this other thing of the MSNBC and the Fox and the, the whatever, the focus on national politics where the solution is interpersonal or whatever. There's a broader problem with liberalism in general that is especially pronounced now through professional managerial structures, through NGO structures, where this focus on morality and feeling bad for someone who's so unfortunate that, oh my God, look at the terrible conditions and the, the bad things that are happening to them. Um, if you actually resolve that problem, then you got no one to feel bad for. And so it, it's, you know, this is when institutions become uh, a net negative because they exist to preserve the problem that they're focused on, right? So it's actually very convenient for Democrats to have this crazy moralizing rhetoric and, oh my God, everybody is so unfortunate and we have to defend and do justice and whatever. And uh, if they fix the problem, they'd have nothing to fucking talk about. And uh, clearly the forces that are funding that political party are deeply, deeply invested in maintaining those problems. They are literally the cause of them, right? That's like <laughs> finance capitalism is why all of the black and brown people in America lost their homes in 2008. That was the greatest destruction of black wealth in the history of America. Uh, so to say that like the uh, your mortgage company and your bank is fucking invested in social justice is just blatantly untrue. Um, okay, so the, the problem is that I just, I see this infinite hazard of focusing on moralizing solutions for politics that will be inescapable from the NGO industrial complex. On a rhetorical level, you just will never be able to break through to the material analysis, uh, and you will just, you'll, you'll kind of remain trapped in the, the conversation of like, oh, someone is unfortunate and we'll, we'll kind of leave them at that. It's, it's the perfect solution to lose for politics because if what you want at the end of the day, if what you want is the moral high ground, it's actually better for you to lose. You don't need to win. You can maintain the moral high ground and lose. That actually perpetuates your system. And these things, these interlocking parts become uh, one, a replacement for the church. People continue to feel bad. They don't feel fulfilled. They don't get answers to their questions. It perpetuates inequality, deepens the political crisis. And, you know, whatever the solution is to this, I don't know. For me, it's, I, I hope, putting politics in one category, morality in another. I think this is why Max Stirner was such a popular meme a few years ago, because you're looking to have some type of a left politics that does not take morality into the equation. Obviously, those are the... Um, exaggerated political imaginings of teenagers. Those are not real political solutions. But um, I do frequently think about what would it mean to have moral convictions in your spiritual and religious life where you had a church that you were a participant of, and then you had a political engagement which did not take morality into the question at all whatsoever. Uh, maybe you would then just focus on organizing your workplace and you would get that interpersonal fulfillment and, and spiritual enrichment through your community engagement with your faith. But this, this would take edu education though, right? It would take a, a public school system that hasn't been defunded for decades. I mean, I mean, in my mind, that's where the desire for these things starts. And hmm. that might be the most exposure some people have to what we're talking about. So, I mean, I, I'm with you and I think that there are are systemic changes that could help broaden horizons and create this maybe domino effect in generations. I don't see it happening quickly, but I, I think history can be the most radicalizing thing, just knowing history, not spending time 
reading about Lemuria or whatever and, and understanding like the inception of like neoliberalism. It sounds boring. And like, no, we shouldn't make Avengers Star Wars movies to make this interesting either. You know, I, I think that's another thing that I hear sometimes. And I think that's just a completely awful thing. So it's, Doing like uh, edutainment or something no, like that. I mean, the, like... look, there are there are degrees, of it, but like trying to to mythologize that is kind of what I'm talking about. I think that's what those movies try mm. to do with these like, oh, like I, V for Vendetta type shit. Yeah, with these like old, a movie to jumpstart the revolution. Yes, with these IPs. Yeah, exactly. Because it that that kind of thing is discounting the medium, right? The consumptive medium of film, the consumption of the experience of going to the theater where I watch the thing and then the change I experience is within that realm and maybe it moves me, but then I go back to my life because that is firmly lodged within the realm of entertainment and commerce and escapism in my mind. It is not involved with realms of, ch- of change in any way. It's not to say those things don't hold power, but most of what gets produced in the mainstream does share a singular vision. It's one that undergirds the neoliberal structure, whether or not it's explicit. I mean, I mean, come on, man, Captain America... Fighting uh, so I heard his movies like subverting Nazis who infiltrated the government, like the myth of the of the good Boy Scout within the deep state, which was told in the eighties through the Jack Ryan franchises. This thing continues to be retold. There are still good people within the state, right? There are still these good actors of pure morals who supersede these political agendas to get the right thing done because there's some illusion that whoever they present this to also would agree, like in the Senate or something like that. Well, I had a a very, a blackfilling moment. And I'd like to say a moment, you know, because I try to, I try to rise above those, (laughs) those moments of uh, pure hopelessness and disbelief and uh, disgust. Um, But uh, in the hotel room this weekend, uh, you know, had MSNBC flipped on. And what do I see on the shelf of a former, uh, either Defense Department official or National Security Advisor, but a one-to-one or maybe like one-to-two, maybe it wasn't a full-size replica uh, of Captain America's shield. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what, even that, that cultural people fantasy. People are self... Yeah, people fuck. who work in defense are modeling their own behavior through these mass narratives. Department of Defense, the Navy, they all sign off in these films. They work with them, and I, I just want to, to, to stress the fact that, like, look how that fantasy has jumped off the rails. It was there were people within the system who could fix it, and now there are supermen who will have the power to, and it's a threat that they could put anybody in line because they actually have some inherent ability beyond you, but they don't, right? They just fight the bad guys, and as long as we agree on who those are. So now there's this fantasy that, like, something exists outside of the realm of the system. The, something will come in and fix it for us that happens to align with your native sense of values is like, I mean, this, you know, this fantasy is going to be like in 20 years, it's not going to be good. But at the same time, these fantasies, I believe guide cultural progress as well. They do give things to people to aspire to. There is a child growing up who wants to make a super soldier serum now for Captain America, Hmm. like Hmm. Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek. That was a thing, but that JFK socialist utopia fantasy of space is gone. It's been replaced with these grittier near-future versions, and I would argue that's why people like Jeff Bezos pulled series like The Expanse out of cancellation because these are shows that are – okay, first of all, don't watch it. But second of all, they're, they're shows about a near future in which 
we've already set up, I mean, it's kind of haunting that he would renew this, but we've already set up, um, we've already stripped the earth of resources. And so we're like mining the asteroid belt and there's already a caste system out there and everyone speaks like Creole or something. He's, it's, a, it's this fantasy of this and like, you know, Mars is a military society because they've been trying to um, turn the atmosphere for so long that they've seceded. And the fact that Bezos is really interested in seeing how the story ends, given his space origins, it's like the, the, the popular media stuff. It it does it does matter. And, and as, he's just outsourcing the R and D for his own project. As much now. as I hate to say it, I mean he the, he had a creative director of SpaceX who was uh, it was Neil Stephenson for a long time, who who writes you know like at this point his cyberpunk, if you want to call it that, has taken on such like an impregnable like 700 pages of like these alternate futures and things that of course he's like st- what, stewarding what for, creatively for space or I assume I said SpaceX I meant Blue Origin but what is he what is he stewarding for that like it's uh, so right. you know as we talk about it I see these mechanisms turning you know and, and, and talking about having multiple avenues you know operating at the same time it's just I don't know anyone at that tier of media uh, visibility who has left leaning bone in their body Can I say something about the the time frame that you mentioned? Uh, 20 years, say, maybe even something that extends longer than that. Um, I'm I'm thinking a lot about scalability and um, belief systems that are now on the fringe that are going to move into the the center. And I think generally in the political analysis, um, to put on my Daniel Keller hat for a second here, um, the level of political breakdown and climate catastrophe and just how bad things are going to get is, I think, a level that people are maybe not prepared for or just uh, don't allow themselves to think about. But it's important in any kind of speculative future analysis that we do entertain those things. And I think it's important to be prepared for some of that. So uh, one of the reasons why I push the the urgency of uh, class politics is because I've spent a lot of time in collapse circles looking at how bad things are really going to get and what these projections look like. And, you know, politics is not going to be about... Um, whether your uncle was uh, conservative and, um, you know, in the era that I grew up, uh, Obama, uh, you know, well, actually didn't support gay marriage the first time, but then did in, right. in the second time. Uh, the, politics is going to be about, can you get drinkable water? It's going to get that bad, you know, potentially within the lifetime of some of these Gen Z kids. And looking at spiritual beliefs, looking at long extended timelines and, and climate catastrophe, um, I was looking into this group, and I've talked about this a little bit before, but uh, they were in, maybe I won't say the name of the lodge specifically, they're out in California, it's the oldest practicing magical lodge in the U.S., and uh, I was listening to this guy who has a a pretty long-run podcast series and is kind of prolific in his own work, Um, and he was describing signing the lease for this building and he's had it for I think something like 30 40 years something like that uh and the week that he signed the lease for the building there was a flood and this was a you know of biblical proportion the you know it was unprecedented the neighborhood flooded miraculously the lodge is spared this flood destroys everything else in the neighborhood but the lodge is spared and to him this was an indication that uh, okay, I'm actually chosen by some d- divine benevolent force, you know, beyond my comprehension that has preserved our magical practice in this space. Um, 
And then he's telling the story and more and more things like that start to happen. Next thing you know, there's like a, a raging fire and it wipes out the rest of the neighborhood and destroys everything else in the hill, but the lodge is again spared. Um, and then there's a hurricane and a tornado and whatever. And it kind of dawns on me throughout this story that this guy is describing the increasing frequency of extreme weather events in an area that is really subject to hitting, you know, like forest fires, wildfires, California, everything. Um, but for him, he has a self-perpetuating belief system where every time he manages to survive it, he is bestowed by God above that he's actually chosen and it was a test for everyone else that he passed. And it, it, it occurred to me that he has a very, given declining political prospects, declining environmental prospects, how bad things are really gonna get, that guy who is totally on the fringe and honestly probably crazy, maybe schizophrenic, he has a very scalable belief system and he's gonna be absolutely fine while the rest of us are shitting our pants. And if the political situation is unchangeable and the dystopia is really locked in, he's gonna be faring a lot better day to day because he can cope with it, right? His, his belief system, his politics and spirituality is a cope, but it's a much better cope than trying to do like hopeless left-wing political struggle or something like that. So uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit jealous uh, of what he's got going and um, maybe there's something to learn from it. But, I, I, there might, there uh, might be, yeah. it's, hard, it's hard, you know, like that line between schizophrenia and what you're talking about, but uh, that's also how you make a good cult because people, who yeah. also feels like, you know, there's a hole or they're, they're like scratching at this, like they something in the system doesn't work and it makes them pull on something that starts to unravel. You find a guy like that, you could just kind of move over into his basket real quick. And then now you are no longer like potentially subversive or like asking questions in the system anymore because you have found a path. And I think, you know, Nate and I talk, go back and forth this all the time, but like this kind of like proto-libertarian thing, I think is a big part of a lot of the turn of the century spiritual movements that still have, I mean, I, I, I dragged Nate to an awful screening of an awful movie, I'm sorry, with the New York occult scene here uh, by a guy who basically runs like a, somehow he runs Penguins in print for um, their spirit. He published David Lynch's book and just spirit, doesn't matter, whatever. A Luciferian. Thelemites, people who work in these systems of, that are like, like, you know, they're indebted to Christianity. Ultimately, that's where these. That's where all of this kind of. Is this some like PizzaGate shit? No, it was. It was. It was. It was supposed to be like a movie about like the the Kabbalion. but it was. A, was there a spiral symbol on the awning above? Yeah, I mean, there was <laughs> yeah, right. some weird symbolism in the film. It was really painful. But he held these yeah. beliefs, is what I'm getting at. And he had it. He had his. There was a Q and A after, and him being someone who considers himself one, a rebel. He's older than us. I think he's definitely firmly within Gen X. I mean, he's in his 50s and he looked 30. So maybe he does have blood magic. I don't know. But one, uh, believed, he said his beliefs were that there are various energies around the world that he are ancient and he wanted to work with. But it, these very self-serving systems in which like people who are attracted to this stuff, who self-identify as being left-handed, who ostensibly are trying to do ego work to preserve, like the, the core of that is like preserving the ego beyond death. That's the thought behind it. It's very selfish and it's very inward facing. And I find people attracted to that kind of system sort of parallel the story that you, you're talking about. And it's a very powerful one. And it makes you feel like you're in on something instead of being in on the fact that like this systemic decay that we're all talking about and these, these actual metrics of change that we could affect in our own life, which you could call magic if you wanted to. Instead, it's about like traveling around the world, finding these old 
you know, the History Channel is going to fund my weird documentary, and I'm, I get to go to the Great Pyramids, and I'm going to fly a drone around and, like, whatever. Thinking of two things right now. The first, just kind of an aside about documentaries about people who do magic. They always interview losers because anybody who's done enough <laughs> research about that or, you know, is has half of a like decent head on their shoulders understands if I want to be taken seriously by anyone, I can't talk about any of this shit. I need to, you know, or maybe at a party or whatever. But if you really internalize the lessons, like supposedly in the way that these interviewees, these occult practitioners had, you know, you're, you're fucking up. <laughs> you're bad because you're not ruler of the world or, you know, you're living in your mom's basement. So all of the, uh, you know, chaos magic. Hey, I, I got a lease for April 1st. <laughs> well, and yeah, so you have your chaos magic practice to uh, to thank for that. <laughs> um, but um, but people who, like you said, people who make good on that, uh, the promise yeah, of these things no, are actually... They're successful. They're on Wall Street. or They're, but, they're, they're doing yeah, this yeah. stuff and it doesn't have to be attached to a spiritual system because it still makes good in all these alchemical treaties. It's like coding. It's still puts those things in the world. So if you want to be known as the aesthetic version of that, like some, you know, dark beast in your lifetime and it's some attractor, in my mind, those are always just like psychosexual parties or libidinal, polycool, like... Yeah, well, we got a lot of those around too. But the other thing I wanted to to say too is that the potential benefit, at least on a, a coping level of getting through the day of having this sense of yourself as a chosen person grounds a lot of spiritual traditions. I mean, this is kind of getting into like, I'll put on my Joe Rogan hat or I'll shave my Joe Rogan head. Um, just to, to say that I, I, I think that the great texts of world religions involve like intense climate change, like the flood of Noah, I think there is datable evidence, you know, that they can point to. Um, and so there sometimes are these correlations between like extreme climatic events um, that are then kind of sorted into a religious belief structure. Heralding a second um, coming of some sort. Yeah. And the, the interpretation, um, you know, varies, of course, but um, you're able to, you know, live with like the sun being blotted out for a year because of a volcano halfway around the world um because you believe that you are chosen by god to to survive it um, right so the the utility of a, of no, a belief a system point. like that i don't know it's kind of like historically um proven by a lot of of it's like, lindy yeah so i mean <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so let's assume lindy. more yeah. people who experience these events of extreme weather of climate change move towards josh's example they eschew the actual what's actually happening in the world. I mean, Josh, with this with this person, like, would they be open to a neoliberal framework for examining that? I mean, they might listen to it, but I, it's like, and I, I'm not putting it out there to talk someone out of their beliefs. This is where it gets interesting to allow these things to exist alongside each other, or maybe to believe both, um, because mm. I. The last thing you want to do is try to completely upend someone's belief system to have them believe in your politic because that might as well be exchanging religion for religion and you'll probably just further polarize them. Um, it's, very, it's a very interesting quandary to consider. I think in regards to that particular individual who was telling a story about the lodge, um, he would probably attribute everything in the world to being some source of karma 
uh, rather than like market transactions or, yeah. or something like that. Um, it's it's tough because um, sometimes these it can work to obfuscate uh, like what is the the root cause of something. Um, hmm. Hmm. And I, yeah, I, I generally think, I mean, I've, I've been kind of feeling in the last few months in general that like the, uh, total engagement, I'm not sure that anyone has done the reading is, it's kind of my feeling. I don't think people really know what neoliberalism is. Uh, I don't really think that people know like what moves their society. And I see, you know, um, we're deep enough into the podcast now where I can kind of, uh, I can start to talk shit on some of these people. So uh, what, what I think has happened is that there's been a resurgence of spiritual beliefs because people uh, lost faith in politics. And that's kind of what I was uh, gesturing at in a humorous way in the, the intro, um, because I think basically people, when things are hopeless, if you have the right analysis or the wrong analysis, it doesn't matter because there's nothing to do that to, to change it. And um, what institutions do is that they preserve the sacred texts, to use the meme, but they preserve the important knowledge so that when it is uh, appropriate and there is an opportunity that the right analysis, the right ideas are there to affect change. But a lot of times things are just going to get bad. They're bad now, they're going to get worse, whatever. So having the right or wrong idea doesn't matter. And so I see a lot of people are kind of doing similar to what this guy in the Magical Lodge has, has done, is that they're um, embracing uh, like esoteric ideas or tradcath ideas or whatever. And before they were like a dirtbag lefty or something like that. And, and before that, they were like a, a Pepe shitposter, edgelord, whatever. And so they kind of got too close to politics. Politics, and then they had like a, a rapid politicization and then you know there's like the peak there's the crash and now they're like okay well I'll just get into this weird kind of um, what I really want to do is just infinitely scroll I think Holly had a very insightful tweet today that uh, the the more I scroll the closer I get to the truth that's kind of the feeling you know and so if you want to put yourself on a treadmill and you want to mystify and obfuscate uh, these belief systems can be a, a very convenient way to, to, to shroud yourself and kind of um, bury the, the mystery. But I think, you know, for, for me, I'm more interested now to like just stare down the bitter, terrible truth and reality. And um, okay, maybe it is like politically very dim for the while, but I'd rather have the correct analysis and then have my, you know, spiritual engagement fulfill something else on its own. Um, I don't necessarily know what that is, is going to be. Um, I was thinking, let me, I, maybe this is a, a good thing for the three of us to sound off on, but uh, I feel like sometimes I get that experience from art. Um, and that's usually the way that I can tell the difference between art and entertainment. I think, um, I've had transcendent experiences with art and I've had experiences with art that change my, my view of the, and understanding of the world and of, of humanity and human experience. Um, I've had that, uh, uh, politically with art also sometimes where I have learned things, maybe not through just looking at aesthetic materials, but in the room that is devoted to art, I've listened to lectures and I've uh, encountered books and references that then transform my view of things. But, uh, you know, in the Captain America and V for Vendetta example, um, 
I haven't really had those transformative experiences. I don't leave the theater feeling like, okay, I've got a, I've got a real grip on what's happening now. Um, yeah, but I wonder, I don't know, do you think, is that, a, is that a positive thing that you can have that transcendent experience with art? Or is that like, is that a, a hazard and that should be actually separated out because you can, um, you can make the replacement mistake? It seems for the most part that uh, a secular art is the only is the only place these days you're really likely to have um, one of those experiences. Obviously, um, arts institutions are unique in their ability to generate new uh, diagnoses um, to allow for experimentation. There is the double edge of art being this space for experimentation but also allowing for a given idea's dismissal as only being art. Eva and Franco Matis can print Facebook's terms and conditions, uh, you know, in the gallery. And in some ways, it, uh, on the one hand, it does provide for this transformative or really enlightening moment on the part of the viewer, but its containment within the world of art um, maybe doesn't, you know, neuter it or, or make it, you know, uh, totally uh, contradict any uh, positive effect it might have. Um, but it does... It reduces transcendence back to the individual. Yeah. An in atomized experience. Yeah. It's not... You're not a... Art is not... I mean, that's what's really unfortunate about it. The really transcendent works that I think people encounter become elevated. And as their exhibition value increases, they lose the ability to provide that transcension. Like, I... The media I brought up earlier in the podcast, I encountered on my own without context. And there was something potentially sacred or mystical about that, at least in the way that it could be read and how people used to talk about these experiences. I had to plot my own way. I did the work and I wanted to. And I think being given this stuff, being told that, yes, that's a work of art and here's why, reduces its ability to... I mean, it, it simultaneously increases the potential for transcendence, but it also can reduce it. It depends how how you do the work or if the work is kind of given to you, you know? Um, but I do think art is a place where you're allowed to, you're allowed to experience transcendence because... Yeah, it's one of the few places you're even allowed to experience and, <laughs> transcendence. And, 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 I, and I would argue it increases its market value, right? It makes it a better block of capital because it has the ability to either posit transcendence or unlimited exhibition value because that Funko Pop can be someone's exhibited self and through that recognition they have whatever their culture or fandom but that that consumable can also be transcendent depending on the point in life it's introduced. I mean, there's lots of factors to it. I mean, I try to keep a very broad and subjective approach to other people's experiences with these things as often in this world spiritual experiences are mediated through consumption. Um... And I think that one point in time that used to be a signifier that it was not transcendent or spiritual because it was consumed like that. I mean, it's, it depends. I mean, I'm not saying it's a sacrament, but I'm not saying it's not. Um, fuck, I just made a contradiction again. Son of a bitch. I'm trying not to do that as much with this, but <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. Like, yes, we all here can recognize the transcendent power of art, but can the guy who's Ubering on, working for Uber on Sunday, what are those moments for him? How do they exist? Are is I feel like the left has historically been equally turned on and turned off by appealing to people. They have tried to educate 
people. They have tried to be the workers on the factory floor. Now, I mean, I feel like we're just moving through another time where maybe we're beginning to articulate this stuff again, but I don't see it reaching people who don't have the education or the experience as well. I mean, the, you know, the museum is this not is, a place for this anymore, right? Hmm. This is maybe what the memes gesture at is that uh, there's no, it's specifically in the example of the Uber driver, there's no space left in society to engage in, um, to, to experience transcendence. Uh, but then there's also no time in which to not work and to pursue a religious spiritual life. And so maybe what people are kind of getting is like they have enough time in the scrolling of their newsfeed to experience these tiny moments of transcendence that are maybe like boomer memes of just kind of spiritual affirmations or something like that. So yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't throw that out as being like, oh, this is some dumb consumer experience or that that actually sounds like a very classist analysis. And, and I, I didn't think about that until you phrased it that way with the, the Funko Pops. But for some people, they are experiencing transcendence through what looks kind of like a silly consumer identity, but maybe that is the extent of what's available to them. And that's just a, a reflection of how impoverished modern yes. life actually there, is. There are many portals yeah. into these experiences. And we ha it's like, I think it's each generation's responsibility to look at the next generations that are coming up and understand you have to broaden that. Because this is how we end up with, you're broadening your own understanding of what that means for other people. Because this is how we end up with these increasingly atomized echo chambers. It's saying, no, that is not a transcendent experience. Mm. This is a transcendent experience, and this is why. And if you don't have the historical canon, I mean, it's just like someone being like, oh, have you read Capital? No, don't talk to me until you have. And then we can do real politics. It's the same <laughs> thing. You know, it really yeah. is. So it's patience and compassion and, and listening to someone who has this, like, garbage consumerist entry into these things. I mean, I, I grew up reading a lot of Philip K. Dick, and Philip K. Dick said God is in the trash stratum. He's in the garbage. It's where you're not looking for him. It's in the discarded beer bottles and the alleys. It's in, it's in these places. It's not in the moments that are manufactured with the explicit aim of creating mass transcendence. And ironically, that is what a lot of people think the second coming of Christ is. That is a lot of how the scripture is interpreted. And if we all do the right things and you get everyone to believe the right thing, then this will happen. And if it doesn't happen, then it's your fault and you don't get to experience it. And the, it's just these echoes of authority and submission of obedience that I, I, yeah, I just kind of see everywhere, and I especially see it on the consumer side of things. So, you know, I hope there's some guy out there who has a, a Jesus Funko, and it's going well for him. I do. I <laughs> want to talk to that guy. Yeah. Um, this might be more of a, an art question, an art topic, more than a, a strictly um, spiritual one, though they might um, interrelate. I would say for the larger part of human history, um, artists have been nameless. They produce works either for a, a religious context, um, other contexts, um, but they, through their um, individual input, participate in a cultural dialogue and a construction of a visual language, um, for lack of a better term. Um, and I wonder if part of uh, the art scene um, beyond its funding structures um, that is, is repellent to a large number of, of Americans, of normal people, is this supreme elevation of the lone figure. Mm -hmm. It does seem that we are 
starting to move into a period where the tools have been democratized enough to where the named artist who is lauded for their singular achievements, the high watermark uh, for that tendency seems to have been reached. And that going away seems like a positive in terms of people actually engaging with artistic material. Do you see the the role of the artist um, or the importance of the, the singular artist diminishing now? Or is that just a kind of naive hope of somebody who spends too much time scrolling Instagram? The young artist is less important because <clears throat> in the context of art, essentially the canon was the um, accidental beneficiaries of the best slice of the American economy and then happened to produce all of these things that were uh, whose value was impenetrable to people, which made it the perfect instrument for speculation. So um, it's opportunity for, or the possibility of transcendence is also what makes art mysterious and what makes it a very effective financial asset. Um, and so generally speaking, artworks made in the 60s are more expensive than artworks made in the 2020s because, um, yeah, they've just been, the, the moving average is greater. Uh, they had more time to accumulate value. They were the early adopters of a functioning economy. Um, I think, let me, let me thread a few things together here because I think in this trajectory, uh, one of the reasons why art appeals, uh, appears repellent to people is because what the liberal order currently needs to do to maintain itself ideologically is that it has to focus the cruelties of its economic system onto this mystery figure, which is the kind of red state conservative who it's his fault why there are such cruelties in the world that we created. So the people who are in charge are actually powerless. And then the people who for the past 40 years of uh, NAFTA, uh, well, neoliberalism for the past 40 years, NAFTA for the past 30 years, um, whose you know life expectancy is declining, whose suicide rates are spiking uh, disproportionately compared to any other demographic, is actually their fault why the liberal bankers, uh, uh, you know, aren't able to fix the world. Um, so I think a lot of art and its relationship to finance has been instrumentalized um, and that cultural institutions have become uh, an effective instrument at attacking those people's values. So as a lifelong degenerate progressive, hey, the cat's out of the bag. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually a lefty socialist. But um, it would seem to me that some of these performances that just foreground, um, you know, really explicit things that are targeted to antagonize cultural conservatives in red states is a pretty blatant indication that they are not welcome in these museums and it's not for them. It is to celebrate the order instantiated by the liberal bankers. Um, yeah, and so that's a difficult tightrope to walk because... Um, it's, uh, saying that kind of thing. Well, Hey, it'll get you kicked out of museum <laughs> yeah, dinners. So it, it happened yeah. to me. Is it about like so, putting, putting sneakers in the yeah. net to unite both sides here? Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah. We need to appeal. Is that, is that that we need to dem- yeah. We need to, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but like, it might, oh, well, God, it, it, no. it, it, it may not be that, but it, <laughs> that is evidence of the permeability. Yes. The, it's the evidence of how, how finance has made the institutions so brittle mm-hmm. that they're now completely permeable by whatever asset can move or whatever aesthetic object can move into but the I, asset But I also class. mean, like, so could that be an apolitical sure. art 
in which the people you're well, saying who don't do feel represented the... can find themselves represented within, looking at this from an extremely mm. consumerist perspective. Mm. But only represented insofar as they are also a consumer of Nike sneakers. But I don't, I don't think that's the, that's the correlation <laughs> that's made. I don't, I don't, it's like being a, you're a part of the brand yeah. is like being a part of the virtual social club. I mean, that's certainly, I think, the rhetoric that the curators would use to, to sleep at night is that they are, they're making something that everyone can appreciate. Um, but I think, I do think it's a virtuality of the social club. I think the way you're talking about the artist before, that's the priest class, the guy who lives on top of the mountain who comes down every yes, 10 years to yes. show us what he's done. And although we might agree that that desire is played out or is tired, I see another trend in cons like, let's say like consumer electronics, like you design your phone by choosing the color, right? You get to have the experience of being the guy on top, the druid on top of the mountain who's bringing down his whatever for us after he spent years in contemplation apart from the world. And I would say there's as much as we've seen an influx of capital here moving into the city after the pandemic, that's corporate capital. And I'm seeing a lot of people going out uh, to, to, you know, not, not dissimilar from Alexandria and its decline to go find those spaces, to go do those things and maybe to join that priest class in a place that they can kind of afford to. So, I, I mean, maybe that's, that's, a, that's an example of the trend broadening, and maybe it means that, yes, that is how this thing descends fully from the mountain, and so we can all have this experience together and see that it's something we all need to steward for other, forward. Can I say something quickly about the, the priest class, though? Because I, I don't want to lose this point, sorry. But the, um, I think that the priest class has been usurped, actually. And um, there's, you know, broadly in this stage of capitalism, we have, uh, you know, two wings, which is like a Brahmin left and a, a merchant right. Like you have the interests of small business and then you have the interests of NGOs and finance capital. And, and those are, that's the extent of the political spectrum. And I think like society does need Brahmins and it does need a left. It needs trade unions, but the Brahmins and the left should not be together. Like that is actually the core of the problem. And that's why we are spiritually unfulfilled and we are materially unfulfilled because we have this like essentially the role of the police, the priest class has been usurped by managers and by consultants who just like who just basically steal money out of society uh, and then seem to do actually very little and, and further entrench the, the problems. And, uh, you know, art, we're maybe the only people who can talk about it because artists, is, it, it's like, it's so impenetrable and in the stratification of wealth in this society, it's actually very rare that people get in as far as some of us have been and then fall out of the system. Um, so there's few people who can like, comment on seeing the molten core of of this thing um and and you know that's that's part of the the issue so essentially like yeah yeah the uh, the incentives on this stuff are, are are very clear that everyone is kind of in on the take and it's about maintaining society it's about managing expectations it's about creating cultural works that punish uh people who by no fault of their own, happened to grow up in conservative red states and just inherited the dumb belief system of their parents, which is just <laughs> geographically how things work. Like you're born into a blue house, you have blue beliefs, and you're born into a red house, you have red beliefs. And so cultural institutions are now the wedge that is being driven down and, and whose sole reason 
is to prevent the possibility of class solidarity that would correct the problem and would throw out the bankers who are actually the root of all of the, the evil that we're trying to fix. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe, maybe that stuff isn't even fixable and maybe there's not an exhibition that we can mount and there's not like, you know, the right Funko Pops or sneakers or art of Star Wars or whatever kind of like, uh, say generally in a, in a positive sense, a populist exhibition that brings people in and is not snooty and elitist and exclusionary. Um, even if we get that, it, it may, it may pale in comparison to just the political influence of the of the financial class, unfortunately. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's difficult because I'm essentially an evangelist for art and art is my belief system that has that possibility of transcendence and all the other stuff we're talking about. But it is also the thing that is now, I think very clearly to me, in the way of my political beliefs. And I got to tell you, I really need the fucking stuff. Like I'm just, the, the overhead is, it's very expensive. Uh, you know, I need to go to the dentist. Uh, so I would, I would like to have a little bit, maybe less uh, financial speculation and just some of the, the basic necessities of life in the developed world. So one day soon, hopefully. I think art in our circles, you know, people who are online and whatever confluence of backgrounds, like does have does hold the power we're talking about. It does. We make time for it. We care. We understand. Um, and in that sense, I think all of this is true. But I think most people. I mean, there. I, like, you know, I never thought I would go back to looking at populist things that way, or I would ever thought I would. I'm not going back to anything. But the idea that for me, it's about it's about always about education and. Let's say you didn't get the facilities to th be inclined to think like this at some point in your life, which is what I feel like is the most you can ask for from public school these days. I don't think these this this work. I don't think this can just be given to you either. I think it's work that we have to do on our own, right? That's the transcendent moments, whatever that is, in political realms or spiritual realms or artistic realms. So if there are populist works that lead to rabbit holes like that. I mean, I, I have a, you know, I, I, um, one of my cousins uh, was deeply upended by Duchamp and the urinal and uh, uh, Von Freytag, the woman behind it, recently. And I think they're having some, something is happening, something transcend, like it's completely upending what they understood because they want to be an artist and it's, it's really changing things for them. So yeah, I don't know. I guess that's more of a point that there's many ways in there, but I guess I wanted to conclude with and ask, I'm here to stare this shit down the barrel of the shotgun. I'm with it. I'm looking at the last however many centuries of problems and I'm owning up to them. And I think we can do that here. But for our friend in the lodge, for many people who are turning towards these new systems of mysticism, whether it be a generic light worker, a QAnon kind of thing, I mean, whatever side of it you want to be, a return to Buddhism. I mean, there's a joke here in New York, like if you're an aging punk, you go, you're either a Harry Krishna or you become a mod guy and you like you become a floor manager at Ben Sherman. There's only two paths for you. How do you appeal to people like that? Who aren't who also think they're stand they're staring in the same shotgun, 
but they see themselves as being set apart through their belief systems. And again, I don't think it's necessarily about directly challenging those things, but understanding like this is a large contingent of the human populace who are vaguely spiritual, not committed to anything, or moving through things. And it's, it's clear to me that every generation will do this. And I think with the acceleration of the production of culture, this will happen many times within lifetimes now to people, uh, which should be, I guess, encouraged, right? right? It means that's continuous change in education, but um, I see those people kind of being left behind, and I see a lot of those ideologies, that are, they're more self-serving. They're about f- once finding the community, getting back to the libertarian thing, back to self-care from a more commodified point of view. But I think this is, a ma- this is like most people who vote, I think, or something. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, what do you think? Um, well, I think, I think most belief systems are symptomatic of larger forces. Right. And I think with the example of people who create these self-perpetuating uh, spiritual loops that fill in the void of declining political prospects or what have you, um, those people are going to be given... Uh, there are forking potentials. There's a few different scenarios that may unfold. And in the positive version of this, we are now at the end of the period where the state is going to be reintroduced to economic political life in a way that it has not basically since all of us have been alive. Uh, And what that has the power to do is it's going to create dialogue trees of decisions that people are going to have to make an active choice about how to shape their lives and what they pursue and and whatever. So if your belief system currently is that things are going to get worse and so I create this esoteric belief system that helps me to cope, that's one path. And then the other path is that um, here's a uh, environmental restoration core which employs you three times the hourly wage and gives you full benefits which is materially within the productive capacity of what we have now like that's that's just evident um, but is maybe not supported by the fucking idiotic price signals that these horrific libertarians have wrought on global society as if this would be a comprehensive way to manage society's resources. Um, So what you need is, and what we're prepared for now, is that the state is going to reshape how societies are organized within which there will be smaller pools of market competition. But there's not going to be just rampant free market exchange because it's it's literally bankrupting global society. So there's going to be a tremendous allocation and expenditure Um, on behalf of job creation in the form of climate cleanup. And so that guy is going to have to choose to either stick with his coke or to experience prosperity. And my wager is, which is why I'm at the core a Marxist, is that most people are motivated by materials. Their belief systems are symptomatic. And um, given the opportunity for prosperity, he's going to choose that. And I think given that life, he'll have a much more fulfilling spiritual engagement as well. You know, I think you're going to get, I think you're going to get both. Brilliant. I mean, but can, it does yeah. really require the big, big solutions for the, the this. The communal aspects of that are probably what is transcendent. When you, what did you say? You said environmental uh, restoration core? That sounds Yeah, sick. it's from a Kim Stanley Robinson yeah. uh, book. I forget. I mean, Pacific Edge, I think, is the one. Yes. Uh, environmental restoration core going. or something like that. Yeah, work, it's, work it's with like the a... Homies, fix the planet, get three times hourly wage, <laughs> you know, make a new social club while you're there. It, Derek, it's very cool that so I'm such a jaded asshole and I've seen fountains so many times that I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. He took he took the urinal and now it's art. But somebody actually having like a 
like a life changing experience. That makes me very happy. I gotta say, I'm I'm impressed. Nate was uh, yeah. totally down with the Funko Pop, but is <laughs> impressed by the urinal. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, "This is not what I was taught in school." Like they're having a conspiracy moment. You know what I mean? And like it's it's that is that time. It's the potential for transcendence, and and I feel you can be pulled in many directions. So it's 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 fascinating to watch. Yeah. Well, in the material basis of religious belief and the structuring of religions over time. I mean, it's pretty much a topic for another day. I hope to get into the kind of early history of Christianity too. But it was subject completely to the economic and political demands of the Roman Empire, where it has to survive. It has to um, adapt. And often through violent clashes between different sects, it has to assert a version of Christianity that uh, accords to the law, but also is easily digestible. And those kind of larger socio-political economic demands very frequently remake religious systems as well. I, I mean, we've been circling around the sure. interdependence of politics and religious belief structures. And I mean, it's not as though, you know, we're going to get to a, a kind of tidy um, definition at the end. Um, but I don't know. I feel like we've done, uh, at least a halfway decent job of, of advocating for, you know, putting things in their, in their proper boxes, or at the very least, um, you know, trying not to, uh, say one thing when you mean another. Perhaps in the future, we should come together again for the historical analysis because the early roots of Christianity, there's a lot of the same socioeconomic issues that are occurring right now. And they all start shaping religion in the same very similar fashion. I think that could be make for a, you know, with like a real bona fide Marxist, I think we could get some great, great analysis going. <laughs> so, so. Fuck, I outed myself as a progressive. We can, we can, and a we can redact Shit. it later. It's fine. Yeah. We can redact everything and just keep it a mystery. I'm warping as a reactionary conservative. <laughs> I'm going to the gym. I'm eating the That's eggs. I don't know you. what else I have to do. That's literally how we're going to introduce you. We're going to do some perfect, perfect. some body Thank shots. Yeah. We're going to talk about how your regimen. We're going to put a montage together of your diet that's that's gonna be an intro it's gonna be great <laughs> oh, just crushing eggs. i was listening to christian dubstep in the gym today <laughs> wow you gotta send me those yeah, tracks man yeah. don't you get i will i will isn't yeah, skrillex a christian or something like, is it one he goes to like a mega church or something like, third act for, making things for skrillex yeah. well he's on his own political journey apparently <laughs> exactly so we gotta maybe we can rescue skrillex for this as well we'll get him on the pod We'll talk to him about some breakdowns, and we'll segue into Christian materialism. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. Damn, there you go. <laughs> Josh, thanks for uh, for talking to us tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, gang. This was uh, great. I've been looking forward to it. Likewise. Yeah. And let me know about the event, whatever you have planned. We will, and, um, and he, sounds like you said earlier, we should probably talk about a joint joint thing as well. I think that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I have a few ideas for that. Yeah, and we'll talk off the record. That sounds cool. Definitely. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, gang. Yeah. Talk soon. Bye, Josh.
Corollis in Inctu Pneumatic Materials.